Now, I think this book has become so popular because it makes direct communication the normative experience of the believer. But now, where was circle prayer for 2,000 years of church history? We must have been a deficient body if this is something that we need. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in the next to final message of our study from the book of Revelation. Our passage is from chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, which warn against adding to or subtracting from Scripture. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he looks at some individuals who disregard this warning and addresses why they do so and what the consequences will be. But we as members of the church are also called to be self-feeders of the word so that we can discern between true and false doctrine. Now teaching or doctrine is important. Today people say, well, I don't want to learn doctrine. Doctrine is emblematic of who God is. Forty-five times in the New Testament, we are exhorted to learn sound doctrine. You say, well, doctrine just divides. Yes, it does. Truth from error, true believers from false believers. Now, sometimes when people rebel against sound doctrine, the reason they are rebelling is for the simple reason is that they want to justify their own wicked behavior. They don't want to believe in a certain way because they want to behave in a certain way. And so they find a church or a teacher that will make them feel better and tell them what they want to hear. But what we teach ourselves and what we teach our children and grandchildren and those that God has entrusted us to disciple is very, very important. And so Christ knows that if you allow the truth to be mixed with error, then it will destroy the testimony of the church. And so Jesus, once again, is speaking about the importance of not perverting the book of Revelation. That's what's in view here. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. What book? The book of the Revelation. Now, both Christians and non-Christians, believers and unbelievers, need to hear this admonishment. Listen. There are cults today that have new revelation. Every single cult is built on some revelation, some vision, some extra writing, some extra book that goes beyond the 66 books of the Bible. And so Joseph Smith tells us, and the Mormons tell us in their commercials of another testament of the quote-unquote 67th book of the Bible. And when you, as a believer, come and you say, well, now, wait a minute. God said in the Revelation, if anyone adds to these, he will add to the plagues which are written in this book. And they say, well, that just applies to the book of Revelation. That doesn't mean that you couldn't have another book from the Bible. And then they will be quick because they are trained well to quote some other passages. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, Moses plainly said, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you. You might want to put that verse in the margin. Nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Or a near identical statement in Deuteronomy 12.32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add or take away from it. Or a Mormon missionary might even take you to the book of Proverbs chapter 30. Every word, Solomon writes, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. 
And so the Mormons, along with other cultists, will tell you that, well, look, we're not adding or subtracting to the Revelation any more than we're adding and subtracting to all the books that have been written since Moses and since Solomon. And so they would argue there's nothing wrong with their having a 67th book. But what they do is they take the writings that I just quoted from Moses and what I just quoted from Solomon out of their context. You can make the Bible mean whatever you want if you take it out of context. You can change its meaning. And contextually, God is speaking of ethical, moral standards, and that when they are ignored or rewritten or soft-pedaled or changed, you are inviting trouble with God himself. And so the reader of the first five books given by Moses, like Proverbs, understood that they were not to ignore, but they were to obey the moral commands of God. And this kind of warning, I suppose you could add to every book of the Bible, because every single book of the Bible has some kind of moral dictate in it. Again, in verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So Jesus is giving a warning to everyone who will read or hear the book of Revelation not to tamper with its truth. And again, contextually, he's talking about the words of the prophecy of this book. Of what book? The book of Revelation. Now, if you were here for the very first message almost three years ago, we learned that there's a firm date for the book of Revelation. It's not a blur. It's not a wonder. It's not an about. It's a firm, specific date. It was written in 95 A.D. You know, there are some people, we also studied this in the very first message, who interpret the book of Revelation as historical. They would say the whole book was fulfilled by 70 A.D. with the exception of the second coming of Christ. Well, listen, what they're basically saying is three chapters of Revelation are prophecy, not 18 chapters, as we would affirm. Revelation was a prophecy, and it was written by a prophet, John, who has given the revelation from Christ to this angel, and such that in the opening chapter, he writes, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. Whether scripture is written by Moses or Solomon or John or any other book, the command is not to add or take away to it. Now, you might be thinking, well, why didn't God give a similar warning to Acts or Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or 1 Corinthians? Well, God strategically placed this warning in the last book of the last chapter of the last paragraph of the Bible. This is the end of God's revelation. This warning is at the end of the New Testament, which is at the end of all scriptural revelation, and therefore it applies and covers everything that would be given thereafter. And knowing especially how much people would want to read the revelation, I mean, you would think about it. Preacher is always asked by the new Christian, can you teach me the book of Revelation? It's the first book they want to study. And if it's announced that a pastor is going to preach the book of Revelation, even unbelievers will come because they're fascinated and intrigued by the book and its futuristic uh, theme. So God surely knew that this would be the most assaulted, the most twisted, the most misrepresented and misunderstood and abused book. And so he especially puts it here at the end of Scripture. But remember, the very last book to be written by the very last apostle is the revelation written by John. 
And so to add or take away from the revelation is to take away from the whole of Scripture because this is the final word. It's a well-established fact that this was the last book, and that's why it's placed right at the end of the canon of Scripture. But apart from that, think your way through this. This book begins in John's lifetime, and he carries us all the way into eternity future. And so he covers the whole realm of life all the way into eternity future. And to come with some new teaching, some new doctrine that would intrude with that timeline would be to add or subtract to what God has said. So it's not by accident. Here in the final book, at the conclusion of the Bible, it would be so appropriate for him to give this warning. And he affirms everyone who hears, again, the public reading of Scripture, Paul said, was not to be ignored because you couldn't go home typically and take out a manuscript and pour over it. You had to be a rather wealthy person. You would go to a particular spot, a locale where the Scriptures were found, and there was usually someone supervising even your opening up the scroll. And so they recognized that if a false teacher came into the church, he could easily stand up and he could manipulate as a teacher what God had given, just as they had manipulated the teachings of the Nicolaitans and brought them into the church, just as they took the uh, teachings of Jezebel and the church at Thyatira and brought them into the church. And so he's really giving a warning to the church who would be dependent on pastors or teachers who would stand up and say, thus says the Lord. And if someone wanted to change it, add to it, subtract to it, manipulate it, then the church could be very susceptible. Now let's consider this as it relates to our day. We have would-be prophets in our day and ignorant Christians because they have no longer learned sound doctrine. We have had 40 years of the Bill Heibel, Rick Warren movement that said the church on Sunday morning should be geared towards the unbeliever. How false that is. It's just the opposite in God's Word in the pastoral epistles. The church service is never to be geared first and foremost for the unbeliever. It is first and foremost to be geared for the believer, whether it's equipping him to share the gospel or teaching the scripture. Will there be unbelievers present? Of course, that's assumed in 1 Corinthians 14. And every week, God in his grace and mercy entrusts to us unbelieving hearts who are searching and looking and wanting to find answers. And Paul says, when the word of God is preached, the unbeliever will fall on his face and he will worship God. But we have would-be prophets in our day like Mormons, and we have ignorant Christians, and we have people who stand up in churches just like this, who say, well, let me tell you what God said to me. God spoke to me. And they want to give you what God basically told them because you're some poor, spiritually impoverished slob and they are some spiritually elite person and so you need to hear what they say. And so Beth Moore has a vision that she shares. You can see it on YouTube where she sees Jesus looking at his church, directly telling her that Roman Catholics are to be one with evangelical Christians. Now, if you know Roman Catholic doctrine, then you know that it is antithetical to salvation by grace alone through faith alone. The Roman Catholic Church denies the gospel. There's a lot of truth in there, 
But one of the master strategies, schemes of the devil is to mix error with truth. And so Beth Moore either does not understand the gospel or she is grossly ignorant of Catholicism. 500 years ago at the Council of Trent, they issued a series of anathemas. And anathema is a Greek word that carries the essence of being damned to hell. And they gave over a hundred anathemas against Bible-believing Christians who taught that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, and that good works do not in any way help get into heaven. That was against papal instruction of the day. And they reaffirmed, by the way, the Council of Trent at Vatican I, Vatican II, and again with the College of Cardinals in 2010. Yet, 2 John 10 and 11 tells me this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And their position has not changed since the Council of Trent. Listen, it is a documented fact. It's called the Inquisition. They murdered 50 million born-again Christians for believing that salvation was by grace alone through faith alone. That's not some made-up mystery. That's history. And yet Beth Moore has this vision that Jesus has said that we are to be one with Roman Catholics. That's either a bad case of indigestion or a figment of her imagination or it's some demonic deception. Mark Batterson, he writes a book called The Circle Maker. He was on Focus on the Family some time ago, and I called Focus, spoke to the national programmer. I said, look, you need to come out and correct this. This guy is a heretic. You haven't vetted him very well. Go on to his website. He's got gay groups meeting on his campus affirming the LGBTQ lifestyle. He uses all these authors that are so far from sound biblical theology. No, we're not going to do that. Then we're not going to play you anymore. I'm not talking about James Dobson. I'm talking about the organization that took over after Dobson was outed. So this guy, Mark Batterson, writes a book called The Circle Maker. And it's supposedly a new methodology on how you ought to pray. And it actually comes from the teachings of a mystic 100 years ago. And so people are taught to draw either a mental circle or a literal physical circle around what it is that they want. And then they are to command God to give it to them. And so he writes in his book, that this kind of prayer will, quote, show you how to claim God-given promises, pursue God-sized dreams, and seize God-ordained opportunities. You will learn how to draw prayer circles around your family, your job, your problems, and your goals. Now, I think this book has become so popular because it makes direct communication the normative experience of the believer. But now, where was circle prayer for 2,000 years of church history? We must have been a deficient body if this is something that we need. But what he is teaching is sub-biblical. It is unbiblical. It is extra-biblical. 
And by the way, I know some people who have said, well, you shouldn't name names. Maybe you should call out their false teaching, but you shouldn't name their names. May I remind you that as a shepherd, God has called me to protect his sheep. May I remind you that Romans 16, 7 says you are to note them. May I remind you of the biblical precedence when Paul calls out Hymenaeus and Philetus and when John and 3 John calls out Diotrephes. No, we are to guard the church of Christ. And so Beth Moore, like Batterson, often speaks of God whispering to our spirits in that inner quiet impression that God gives you that we are to follow. Listen, we are not to expect direct messages from heaven where God says, where we say, well, let me tell you what God told me. That's what Sarah Young writes in her best-selling book, Jesus Calling. Let me read to you from the introduction. She said, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Really? This book's not sufficient? I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. Listen, if that is what was happening, then she was writing scripture. If Jesus was speaking directly to her and she is writing it down, then really what she is writing in scripture and as a result, she's adding to the Bible. And so you get all these people who come very dangerously close to ignoring the warning when they say, well, God said to me and he said, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so Beth Moore in one of her tweets writes this. There is a time to give up and there is a time to keep trying. Sometimes the time to keep trying feels a whole lot more like a time to give up. The only difference is the still small voice of the Holy Spirit within you saying, try again. We hear this all the time, that God is speaking through the still small voice, which is really putting that still small voice in the same authority as the word of God. But if you were with me in my series on Elijah years ago, we learned that this still small voice was not some internal inner impression. It was an audible impression that Elijah literally has to go outside of the cave to hear. And of course, it was at a time before the canon of Scripture was done. And so God spoke in many portions and in many ways through dreams, through visions. And he spoke to Elijah in an ordinary, everyday experience. But it was an audible word from God Almighty. Not some inner impression where you can say, well, God told me. You are on very shaky ground when you make statements like that. God is saying, listen, don't tamper with this book. Now, the way some people approach and interpret and apply the Bible, they are on very dangerous ground. You say, Pastor Carl, do you think God can speak directly to me? And I would say, yes. If you want God to speak directly to you, then read his word. And if you want him to speak audibly, then read it out loud. Charles Haddon Spurgeon so wisely said, I have little confidence in those persons who speak of having direct revelation from the Lord. His word is so full, so perfect, that for God to make any fresh revelation to you is quite needless. To do so would be to put a dishonor upon the perfection of that word. 
Jesus here is speaking of the completeness of the Bible. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. John is not saying, listen, maybe you study the Bible and you come up with a a different meaning. No, he's talking about people who purposely distort God's word. Someone reads the book of Revelation and they come to the conclusion that there is going to be a pre-tribulational rapture. That is, the church will be taken up before the seven-year tribulation period begins. Someone else reads it, and after they read it, they come to the conclusion of a post-tribulational rapture, namely that the rapture happens after the seven-year tribulation. Well, is that person brought under some kind of a curse? Not at all. He's not referring to someone who is uh, misinterpreting the Scripture. He is referring to someone who is trying to twist and distort the Scripture. The truth is, is that the post-tribulationist has the gospel just like the pre-tribulationist, and he'll go to heaven too. He'll just go to heaven a little sooner than he thought he would, and he won't be complaining, I promise you. But John is not talking about misunderstanding the Word of God. He's talking about twisting the Word of God. And so this is a warning. And when you reject the truth, you become open to error. That's the principle we've studied earlier in this book. Why it is that millions upon millions across the earth will be deceived by the Antichrist. And Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, because they refuse the truth, they believe a lie. That's what happened to Joseph Smith. He had the plan of salvation clearly taught to him. But he was a profligate. He was an immoral man. He had over 40 wives So what does he do? He writes a book that justifies his own immoral, wicked behavior, not to mention in this other testament, he denies the deity of our Lord and Savior. The same could be said of Muhammad's Quran, which states that Jesus did not actually die on the cross, but he was taken up into heaven that there was someone else other than Jesus who was on the cross. That's a manipulation. And they, of course, in the Quran, deny the deity of our Lord and Savior. They say he is only a prophet, but Muhammad is the final and the last prophet. The same could be said of the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, or the Hindu Vedas, or the Upanishads, or the writings of Confucius, or Buddha, or any others that you could think of. These are all examples of people who are adding to the Scripture. Remember the warning that Paul gave to the church at Galatians, Galatians 1. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. It's the Greek word anathema. It's the same word the Roman Catholics used to, to, to shell a hundred anathemas against Protestant evangelicals of their day as we've said before. So I say again now, if any man is preaching to a gospel, contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Paul was preaching the true gospel, and he said these so-called other gospels that are not gospels at all are to be rejected. And so what I find so fascinating with the Revelation is it opens with a promise of a blessing But it ends with the warning of a curse of anyone who would dare tamper with it. I'm not saying that God cannot lead your life. But what I am saying based on this passage of Scripture is that these so-called fresh revelations that people today, more and more, who have seeped into the evangelical church, these fresh revelations that they say they are getting, they are to be rejected. 
The Bible is the completed revelation of God and nothing else is needed because God didn't forget anything. Oh, I missed that one. Should have included it in my book. No, not at all. And so we don't need men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Paul never had the five love languages. He never had a test to analyze your temperament. We don't need all this psychobabble that has walked into the front door of the church. We need men of God who will step into the pulpit of God, preach the word of God, but we got all these effeminate men who are tripping over their own skirts as they walk into the pulpit. God is giving a clear warning here in the last book. Now, in fairness to my charismatic and Pentecostal friends, who say they are receiving new revelation when they speak in tongues or when they get a vision from God or a dream or a word of prophecy. Some will admit, in fairness to them, that maybe what they're receiving is not quite as inspired as Peter or Paul or John. That's nonsense because there are not degrees of inspiration. Either God said it or he didn't say it at all. There is no in-between. And so someone speaks in a tongue, and I'm going to the Ukraine later this month because there's a huge problem with this new apostolic reformation movement that is sweeping Western and Eastern Europe. It's in churches like this church, Bethel. Remember that lady who lost her dear little precious child? And for four days, they tried to raise that child from the dead. You talk about gross error. It is sweeping America. It is the fastest growing religious movement today in the world. But I will remind them, listen, if someone speaks in a tongue and someone else over here says, I have the gift of interpretation. There are two separate gifts. You take that tongue, you record it. You find anybody else in the world, you choose someone else with the gift of interpretation and let them hear the same tongue and see if they come up with the same interpretation. It has never, ever, ever happened because it is a fake, it is a fraud, it is a phony, it is not like anything what we are reading in the New Testament. And I've given a lot of thought. I did my doctoral dissertation on it. I read over 300 books in my bibliography, and you couldn't pad it. Back then, you had a team of 12 men, and they could say, what about this book on page four of your bibliography? Give me a summary of it. Believe me, trust me. What we are seeing today is not what the scripture says. And so in fairness to some of them, they're saying, well, you know, maybe we're just not quite as inspired. There are no degrees of inspiration. That's liberalism. That's what liberal Protestant critics argue for degrees of inspiration. Look, it doesn't matter if it's Joseph Smith or Judge Rutherford or Ellen G. White or Mary Baker Eddy. God has given us a completed revelation, and he warns here if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And tomorrow, when we conclude our message, God's Final Warning, Dr. Brogy will look at those plagues, and we'll see that those who do add to or subtract from the Scriptures are really lost, and their eternal destination will be in the lake of fire unless they repent. To listen again to today's message, the next to last one in our study of the Revelation, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 
and requesting program REV72. Things are looking better and better for our fall trip to Israel. The Israeli government has inoculated almost two-thirds of their population against the COVID-19 virus, and plans are in the works to reopen tourism in the Holy Land. If you'd like to join us for an 11-day trip to the Middle East, we'll be offering two separate excursions in late September and early October. Join Dr. Brogi as he helps bring the Bible alive as fellow travelers walk through many of the places occupied by King David, Moses, the Apostles, and of course, Jesus himself. All the details are online at stsisraeltour.com. Tomorrow, the conclusion of God's final warning. Join us then as we search the scriptures.